Well, I'd like to begin with a question for all of us on this Pentecost Sunday. Not to embarrass anybody or anything, but with a show of hands, how many of you ever feel like you are quite ordinary? Let me see, just by a show of hands, just doing a rough counting here. Okay, 100% of us on this Pentecost Sunday. So then, happy Pentecost, all of you ordinary people. Because Pentecost is an extraordinary day of extraordinarily good news for extraordinarily ordinary people like you and me. On this day, on Pentecost, we celebrate, you've already heard it, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all flesh. All flesh. That includes you. That includes me. God poured his Holy Spirit upon us with all of his power, all of his presence, in fulfillment of all of his promises. So this is a very good day for ordinary people. It's a momentous day. The church calls this a feast day. Really, Pentecost is an explosive day for the church. And on Pentecost, on this day, we see yet again God keeps his promises. God keeps his word like he always does. The promise that we see fulfilled on Pentecost has just as much of an explosive impact upon the church today and upon this church, upon Truro Church, as it did upon the early church in the book of Acts. Pentecost matters. Pentecost matters. So our ears should perk up this morning. We should be encouraged and expectant this morning because God is still up to now what he was up to then. God is still moving in the same way now as he was then because God is just as powerful, just as eager to light us on fire, just as passionate about the mission of his church for his praise and glory now as he was then. If our fingers or if our ears could detect spiritual electricity, then they would tingle whenever we picked up our Bible or whenever we heard it read. The Bible is alive. The God to whom the Bible points is alive and the spirit is alive. The same spirit present there on Pentecost, the same spirit who divinely inspired the writers of scripture is alive. And that same spirit that descended upon those disciples in that upper room descends upon us this morning. The same power from on high that came upon those ordinary people with extraordinary gifts comes upon us, ordinary people, this morning. And the same message that filled their lips, a message of praise and proclamation fills ours. So, to put it in traditional language, Pentecost is a really, really, really big deal. <laughs> Pentecost changes everything because God keeps his promise. God keeps his word. And when Jesus said in our gospel reading in John 14, 16, that he would ask the Father and the Father would give us another helper, Jesus meant it. And Pentecost is the proof that he meant it. And this promise, this helper, is meant for you, for every one of you. This promise is meant for you. So let me get to the point very quickly here, right at the outset. 
The power of the Holy Spirit is the very power of very God because the Holy Spirit is God. And this Holy Spirit, this power, this fire is available to you all the way. All the way. In Christ, you and I have access to the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit at all times, at all places, for all occasions. They go further. There is no junior Holy Spirit. There is no two-thirds Holy Spirit. There is no vice Holy Spirit. No assistant to the regional Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6 tells us there is one body and what? One spirit. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 puts it this way. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of what? One spirit. There is one Holy Spirit. And on this explosive day, the church celebrates that he He is poured out upon us in full. The same breath of God that hovered over the waters in Genesis 1-2. The same spirit of God prophesied by Joel in 2-28 to be poured out upon all flesh. The same mighty rushing wind there in the upper room in Acts 2. That same spirit is here and now in this room resting upon and dwelling within us. The same. There's a temptation, I think, for every Christian, maybe more so for Anglicans, I don't know, to get to days like today, days like Pentecost. Look at texts like this from Acts 2. And pretty quickly, whether we realize it or not, we tune out. We think about them as, you know, past historical events that have nominal impact on our lives today, except that maybe we believe they happened and we're nominally interested. And that's unfortunate, because this day, and the Bible has the power to change our lives, because what if what I'm saying is true? Imagine, how would our lives look? How would the church look? How would this church look if we were to surrender more and more to the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Imagine, but don't imagine too hard because we are the book of Acts. Our lives and our church could look a lot like this. Just take a moment then and consider, am I experiencing and desiring fullness of life in the Holy Spirit? Am I? If you are, great. Keep it up. And if you're not, well, then you're in the right place at the right time on the right day of the church's calendar. Look with me, then, at what we see on Pentecost. There's three things I'd like to highlight. What do you know? In honor of Pentecost, these all start with the letter P. I had to do it, and if I hadn't done it, I could never forgive myself. So first, the presence of God. Second, the power of God. And third, as a doubleheader, the praise and proclamation of God. So first, look with me at Acts chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, and we see the presence of God. And we see right at the outset, his presence is not manipulated. His presence is not faked. It's not manufactured. His presence doesn't come upon the disciples because they pray a particular prayer or sing a particular song. God's presence, we see it here, isn't conjured up by the disciples. God's presence is bestowed 
upon the disciples. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So what impressive thing were the disciples doing that grabbed the Holy Spirit's attention and persuaded him to visit them? Not much. They were just sitting there. Okay? What ritual? What liturgy? What really nice chord progression? Um, Maybe a fog machine were they using here in Acts 2 in order to convince the Holy Spirit to show up. Oh, that's right. They were just sitting there. This is comforting, isn't it? It is for me. Sometimes we think we have to impress God. Sometimes we think we have to have everything in our lives, everything in our church, everything in our services perfectly engineered. If our batteries die, the Holy Spirit's going to leave the room. We have to spend 30 minutes convincing him to come back. No, not so much. Verse 1 tells us simply they were together. Verse 2 tells us simply they were, quote, sitting. They were sitting together. So now pay attention to the direction from which the mighty rushing wind comes. Verse 2, once more, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So the disciples are simply sitting there together and waiting, and God bestows his presence upon them from heaven. This is still how the Holy Spirit works today. He can't be manipulated, he can't be conjured up, and he can't be faked. And I need to point this out to all of us, the Holy Spirit also isn't a thing that we can control by the flip of a switch or the playing of a favorite song. The Holy Spirit is a person. And guess what? This person knows where he's invited. This person knows where he is welcome. This person knows where there are people who are desperate and needy and at the end of themselves, and he is eager to go there like he was in Acts 2. So on Pentecost, the helper we've read comes down from heaven. But Luke doesn't say that he comes down as a a gentle breeze or a a medium-sized gust. Luke tells us he comes as a mighty, rushing wind. God does not fill you proportionately with his Holy Spirit. God fills you disproportionately with his Holy Spirit. He comes upon you as a mighty, rushing wind. Because you are you with all of your limitations and your limited capacity. And I'm me with my limitations and my limited capacity. God is God in all of his fullness and all of his riches and all of his wealth and all of his power. And in the Holy Spirit, he comes upon us in full. Luke describes it as a mighty rushing wind. Comes down from heaven upon God's people, simply together, waiting And even better news, Jesus tells us, he comes to stay. Jesus said this about this helper in John 14. He said, he will dwell with you. He will be in you. And unless you're worried about this, he will be with you forever. Because of Pentecost, this is what our church, this is what our lives look like. We are filled with the fullness of God and the person of the Holy Spirit, and it's all a gift. It's not conjured up or faked or manufactured. We enjoy God's very presence. Second, we have God's very power. Look with me at verses three and four. 
Luke writes, divided tongues as of fire appeared to them, rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now I know you came to church today on Pentecost just hoping the preacher would talk about speaking in tongues. So don't want to disappoint you, so we will. But seriously, I think it would be good for us on Pentecost Sunday to take a few minutes and talk about spiritual gifts and to talk about the gift of tongues. We're going to camp out on this for a while, so if I lose you at any point, just take a breath of the burgers and hot dogs that are uh, waiting for us outside. So about God's power and about his gifts, what's happening here in Acts 2 is that God is coming upon his disciples by giving them a spiritual gift they did not naturally have. We see this in the New Testament church beginning here on Pentecost in which ordinary people, plain old ordinary people, are given power or a gift, you could say, by the Holy Spirit to do something they could not ordinarily do. These gifts are given for the edification of the body. They are given for the spread of the gospel, for encouragement, for mission. That's what God did then through his power, equipping his disciples with supernatural spiritual gifts, and we believe God still does it now. Now, before we talk about the particulars of the gift in Acts 2, the gift of tongues that we see, let's talk about the pattern. Because while the specifics of the day of Pentecost aren't repeatable, we'll never have another Pentecost Sunday, the pattern by which God chose to impart his power to them is the same pattern by which he chooses to impart his power to us. And basically the pattern is this. One, God gives a person that he chooses a gift that he chooses. And second, that person uses that gift. God chooses the person. God chooses the gift. And that person uses that gift. That's it. It applies here to the gift of tongues, but it also applies to other spiritual gifts all across the board and throughout history. The pattern applies to all of us who turn to Christ. One, God gives a gift that he chooses to the person that he chooses. And second, we use those gifts. Repeat as needed. What we believe at Truro, what I personally believe, is that the Bible is clear that the gifts of the Holy Spirit continue today. Their purpose has changed, sure, but the power remains. What I mean by that is, of course, when these particular gifts were given in the, in the New Testament church, the church was being inaugurated. The church was being born. The Bible was still being written. It's 2,000 years later now. The church is no longer being inaugurated, and the Bible is sealed. We know that. But just because the purpose has changed doesn't mean the power has ceased. Four really important things. Stay with me. I don't want to lose you yet. So first... God decides which gifts to give to whom. We can ask him for particular gifts, and we should. It doesn't mean he'll give them to us. God chooses what gifts to give to whom. Second, no particular gift is superior or inferior to others. Third, all the gifts are supplied by the same spirit. That's why number two is one of the rules. They're supplied by the same spirit, so... None of the gifts are inferior or superior to others. And fourth, most importantly, all spiritual gifts are to operate and be exercised under the absolute authority of Scripture. God gives these spiritual gifts. He imparts his power still. And so, because he gives them, 
because he chooses the gift, he chooses the recipient, God has the right to set parameters around them. For example, we see in our text this morning the gift of tongues. And in this chapter, it's used in an incredible way of making people who don't speak certain languages able to speak those languages and make a crowd outside the house of different nations understand those languages intelligibly. It's not used this way very often anymore, though I've heard and read stories from missionaries that that tell when it is. We believe the gift of tongues continues today, but this gift now, 1 Corinthians 14, helps us see is used primarily for private prayer and worship. And when it's used publicly, it should be used carefully. God doesn't just deploy these gifts within the church and say, now y'all just figure it out. Don't know why God just had a southern accent in that, but (laughs) y'all just figure it out. No, God in his kindness gives us these gifts of power, and then in his kindness, he gives us the parameters. He has the right to do that. So Paul himself, even as he lays down God's parameters for what we might call the miraculous gifts, he encourages us to pursue them. 1 Corinthians 14.1, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. He goes on in verse 5, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Just ask your Father in heaven to give you what you need, to give you the gifts that you need to give you the gifts that you need so the people around you receive the blessing from the gifts that he decides that you need. Ask your father in heaven. He's a good father. He will give you what you need. Now, one more thing about all the spiritual gift stuff before we move on. God wants the church to know that the power that he poured out upon the church on Pentecost is still to be pursued even when it's messy you spend enough time around any church, you'll probably see the misuse of spiritual gifts. In a room like this, I am 100% sure that at least some of you have experienced and seen the misuse of these miraculous gifts. And I'm sorry about that. I've seen it too. The charismatic movement has its excesses and its problems, sure, just like the cessationists do just like the fundamentalists do, or fill in the blanks do. But to paraphrase Sam Storm, he's an author, pastor, theologian, who's written a number of helpful books on pursuing spiritual gifts and practicing them biblically. He says this, paraphrase, don't allow misuse to become an excuse for non-use. God shows his power through sinful people because, newsflash, sinful people are all he has to work with. And on Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate that God still shows his power through us sinful people, even as we trip over ourselves. He still gives us spiritual gifts, even though we need help learning how to use them. You may have heard the old expression, God wants spiritual fruit, not religious nuts. (laughs) Well, it's God himself by his helper, the Spirit, and through his word, who will help the church be less nutty and more fruitful. So there in the upper room, and here and now, today, the good news of Pentecost is that God bestows upon us his presence, he fills us with his power, and finally, he uses us for his praise and his proclamation. 
Verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the sound of what was happening in the upper room, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And Luke then goes on in verses 8 through 11 and lists all the different languages that the Holy Spirit is enabling those ordinary Galileans to speak. And what exactly did the crowd hear the disciples exclaiming? Did the crowd hear the disciples just, you know, inside exclaiming what a fun time in the Lord they were having? Did the crowd hear the disciples inside just exclaiming gibberish or nonsense? Did the crowd outside hear the charismatics inside just doing something that made no sense? No. The last half of verse 11 tells us the crowd, the non-Christian crowd, the crowd comprised of people from all over the place, the crowd said in the last half of verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues, what? The mighty works of God. The mighty works of God. That's what all this is for. The Spirit comes upon you for your sake, sure, but not just for your sake. His presence comes upon you, yes, but not just for you. His power fills you and transforms you, but it's not so that people will be impressed with you. It's so that they would be impressed with the God whose mighty works you declare. It's so that you, yes, you, ordinary people, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go just a few verses later in Acts 2. Go on to the next chapter and the next chapter. Read the whole book. Who does Peter proclaim? Does he proclaim himself? Does he proclaim, hey, let me tell you about what just happened in our room just now. No. What does Peter proclaim? Peter proclaims Jesus. What is the effect of the presence and the power of Pentecost? The disciples overflow with praise and proclamation. And I can use even more of the letter P now. Peter passionately preaches to perplexed people and praise God, God's perfect plan prevails. Amen. Good. One more time. Peter passionately preaches to perplexed people and praise God, God's perfect plan prevails. God is still up to now what he was up to then. God is still moving in the same ways now as he was moving then. And the reason God is still just as powerful, just as eager to light us on fire, is because God is just as passionate about the mission of his church for his praise and glory now as he was then. Remember the vision that God gave the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37 in the Valley of Dry Bones? God says something ridiculous to Ezekiel. He says, prophesy over these dead bones, these dead dry bones that have no flesh on them, no connective tissue, no anything. And he says, prophesy to these bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. Dead bones. Why should Ezekiel prophesy this over these bones exactly? Is it so that these bones can, you know, form a nonprofit organization and 
choose a leadership structure and draft an annual budget and build a really snazzy website and when the weather is nice, have a potluck? No, much more than that. Ezekiel says, verse 10, I prophesied as he commanded me. The breath came into them. They lived and stood on their feet, dot, 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 an exceedingly great army. On Pentecost, the church of Christ was born. Then the spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, shall not faint. By his blood and in his name, in his freedom I am free for the love of Jesus Christ who has resurrected me. Pentecost changes everything. Pentecost changes everything. The outpouring of the presence of God, the infilling of the power of God, and the spread of the praise and proclamation of God. God lighting us on fire for his glory and his renown. And praise God, God is still up to it today. And right here, right now, at this place, and in this church, God is taking our dead, dry, tired, worn out, post-COVID, post-multiple church crises, dead bones, and he is breathing breath into us, and he's turning us into an army. Amen? So our ears should perk up this morning. We should be encouraged this morning, Truro, because the same spirit and the same power that came upon those disciples comes upon us today. And the same spirit that gave those ordinary people extraordinary gifts is coming upon us, ordinary people, today. And the same message, the same message that filled their lips, a message of praise, a message of proclamation, fills ours. Amen? Amen? Father, would you send your spirit upon us, breathe your breath into these dry bones. Make us, O oh God, into an exceedingly great army. We wait for you. We long for you. We're desperate for you. Lord God, would you bestow upon us afresh your presence? Would you fill us afresh with your power? Would you put on our lips afresh your praise and proclamation. Come, Holy Spirit, this Pentecost. Set us on fire, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen.